Amen. Well, good morning and welcome again. Uh, be reading to you from the scriptures. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Joshua chapter 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We'll also have it on the screen. I'm going to read the entire uh, chapter, Joshua chapter 7. Would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Aven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from the people. And they fled before the men of I, and the men of I killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabaram and struck them at the descent And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan." O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things, they have stolen and lied, and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. The tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, 
Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the people of Israel And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire, they stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we uh, come before you. Lord, coming from all kinds of different places, Lord, as we've uh, just read these uh, profoundly sobering words, Lord, I recognize that some of us come in here and our lives uh, are feeling quite comfortable. Others of us come here and our lives feel uh, in complete disarray. Lord, some of us come in here and we come with faith, even faith that would look for good things in the words that have just been read. Others of us come here and we are outraged by these words. Uh, We wonder uh, how in the world can they be true, and if they are, how in the world can you be good? I pray, Lord, therefore, that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are uh, here filled with hope, or we are here dealing with all kinds of cynicism, whether we are here with faith or dealing with all kinds of doubt, pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that all of us ultimately come here the same, all come here with an overwhelming and unrelenting need hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. Pray that you would open our eyes. Show us how you are working to address this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, amen. Good morning and welcome. Great to be with you. Again, uh, folks inside, outside, and online, great to be with you here this morning. Not used to preaching to three groups, but and such are the times that we are in. So friends, uh, it goes without saying, but I want to say it anyway. And uh, if you're new to Ironworks, you're wondering who we are, what we're about. Uh, I want to tell you, uh, if you didn't already pick up on it, that we are a community of people who actually believe in the Holy Scriptures. Right? We, we actually believe in reading, uh, in considering and, and seeking to find what the Lord God is doing in the Holy Scriptures, including the Old Testament. Right? The passage I just read comes from the Old Testament book of Joshua. And friends, uh, we, we come across this passage kind of sequentially as I'm working my way th- th- slowly through this material. Um, we're not going to be covering every passage in Joshua, but I do believe uh, that this passage is one that is essential for you and for me. 
Uh, and so I'm going to humbly consider it with you here this morning. Title of our sermon series is called Finding Courage in Times of Crisis, right? Finding Courage in Times of Crisis. And I kind of renamed it earlier, Finding Courage in Times of Crises, right? Because for some of you, you're not dealing with just one, vo- one crisis, right? Some of you are dealing with multiple crises. You don't simply have a worldwide pandemic that's going on and canceling plans and causing jobs to be uh, thrown into disarray. Some of you are having all kinds of other things press in on you and your family, some of you and your bodies at the same time, that this is the time not of crisis, but the time for some of you of crises. Uh, personally speaking, and, and you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make a big deal out of this at all, but just in my own uh, coming up on nine years in ministry, this has been by far the most difficult season uh, for all kinds of folks in ministry. In fact, Robbie, uh, my colleague Robbie, he said, you know, church planters, you know, I'm not a church planter anymore, but uh, he said church planters are so profoundly demoralized. He said that someone uh, is predicting a mass exodus from the ministry in about one to two years after we're all through all of this stuff, if that happens. Right, that this is the time where, and friends, what I'm seeing and what I'm discerning in, in my own calling and role, and then not just for myself, but as I walk with you, what I'm, what I'm discerning is something that's of the utmost importance if you're going to walk faithfully in this time. Right, one of the determining factors as to how well you will walk during this time is the question of do you have courage? Right? Right now, what, you know, whatever decisions you're making, something that will determine how well you walk during this time, whether you're leading a family, right? whether you are uh, fulfilling work responsibilities in a corporation, right? whether you're uh, in, in leading a ministry team of sorts, or, or whether you're just simply trying to walk faithfully you know, in your own sphere, one of the things that will determine how successful you are in that is the degree to which your decisions are connected to the right kind of courage, right? And and so therefore, I'm humbly offering this scripture to you all because the message of Joshua is that success is deeply and intricately tied to courage. Joshua chapter 1, be be strong and courageous, therefore, right? But courage, not simply of, you know, I'm going to throw caution to the wind, but a certain kind of courage, a kind that is found in the presence of almighty and all-powerful God, right? It's not simply throwing caution to the wind and saying, I'm going to be courageous and, you know, jump off this cliff, right? I'm going to be courageous and go to a COVID party, Right? Some, of, some of that going on. You know, that's, it's not foolishness, right? But there's a kind of courage that finds its reality, its strength, its essence in a close connection to the presence of Almighty God, right? That's, that's the message of this passage uh, in short. How, how do we see that? I want to walk through it with you humbly here. Uh, In the book of Joshua, what's happening is that Israel is seeking to do what God has told them to do, which is to occupy 
the land of the Canaanites, right, which, become, which will eventually become Israel's land. They are to go there. They are to be outnumbered, outgunned, outresourced, and yet they are called to walk in profound courage and to conquer and to take this land even though they have every reason to fear. Where our passage picks up on is they have just had their first and overwhelming victory at the city of Jericho. Right, So they, they do it right to a degree. They take this city of Jericho, and then they come to a far smaller city, right, to a place where it looks like it will be, relatively speaking, easier for them to be successful. And they're humiliated and defeated, and they lose 36 men. And the message of this passage is that the success of Israel is not depending upon their numbers, it's not depending upon their weapons, it's not depending upon their strategy, right? The success of Israel depends upon the presence and the pleasure of God. It's a simple, simple point of this sermon, right? Simple point of this passage. And friends, I want to point out something that, that may not be entirely obvious to you sitting where you are, whether it's here, there, at home, right? Wherever you are. But your success, right, your success in the things that God has for you depend not ultimately on your bank account, on your health, on whether you're liked by people, right? Your success depends on the presence and the pleasure of Almighty God, right? I just want to be upfront with you this morning about that. But it goes a step further, by the way, right? goes quite a bit step further. Uh, and, and one of the main aspects of this teaching and this passage uh, goes beyond simply whether God is present with you, right? That's the language I've been using. You, you probably are interpreting you in the singular, not y'all, right? Or, or as my daughter likes to say, all y'all, Right? I'm not hanging out with all y'all, she'll say. Um, just not a southern thing, apparently. It's, it's something else. But it, God's pleasure does not simply need to rest with you, but it needs to rest with your community. That, that is one of the, the major issues pointed up in this passage. We see it all throughout, right? God, when he lays his case before Joshua, Joshua is saying, why did we fail why did we not succeed? It would have been better that we were content on the other side. It would have been better that we stayed home. What is going on? What does God say to him? He doesn't say, well, you know, there's this one guy who did something. He says, Israel has taken the devoted things. Right? There's this interesting interplay between singular and plural throughout this passage. Right? Uh, it's not simply Achan, but it is Israel that is doing this action. It is Israel that is suffering for the actions of this one person or this family. And let's, I want to just walk through that briefly with you, try to help you understand what's going on. The language in verse 1, and again, in, in the plural here, he says, but the people of Israel, the community, not just one person, the community, what does it say? Broke faith in regard to the devoted things. The idea there is that they trespassed, they act 
in a, in a way like a traitor to the agreement that God had with Israel. And of course, uh, we've already said that he's kind of interplaying between singular and plural. What is going on here? Well, if you remember, when Israel took the city of Jericho, and this won't always be the case, but for Jericho it was, God was very clear. He said, this particular town, we must devote all of, this, all of these things to destruction unless they're going into uh, the treasury of the temple, right? Don't take the spoil. Leave it alone. Destroy it. Let it be an offering to me of sorts, Right? And Israel was profoundly successful. And what God was saying to Israel uh, in, in the city of Jericho, in this resounding success, I think is very simple. I'm a God of abundance. If you have my presence, you have all that you need. I am bringing you into a land that is overflowing in abundance, that is beyond anything that you've ever experienced in all of your lives or ever will experience. And the key to success is my presence in responded to with trust, right? Key to success is my presence responded to with trust. And what he says is, so what I'm telling you for this particular city, right, leave these things alone. You, you're going to see some, some treasure. You're going to see some things of value. You're going to see some things that you might long for. Leave them alone. And what happens, of course, is that uh, there is a man who does not leave them alone. And what happens is, is that it, I want to walk through what's going on there. He'll explain what happens uh, down in verse 21. If you'll see that, you'll see this uh, kind of progression that um, is the progression for uh, my, my own experience and my, both personally and walking with you, we, we see this played out actually a fair bit. If you look with me in verse 21, let's read a Aiken's own words for it. He says, truly I've, in verse 20, truly I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. This is how it happened, right? How did we get here? How did we get here? Right? He says, when I saw with my eyes the spoil of a beautiful cloak from Shinar, right? And then later on in the sentence, he says, I saw, and then I coveted them, and then I took them, right? Saw, coveted, took. That's the three verbs. And this is the progression of how these things happen, right? You want to know, how do these things happen? In, in fact, I want to commend our men's group sitting outside. Hey, guys, Right, our men's group's wonderful. Uh, they actually, you know, they delve into this this phenomenon in such a way that I think is so richly helpful. Right, they have this kind of system where they say, let's let's not simply talk about actions like taking, but let's actually think very deeply about the actions that precede those actions, like looking or desiring. Right, so what happened with Aiken here? He says, I looked. I desired, and then I took, right? Uh, and sin follows this progression. And ever since uh, Genesis chapter 3, we've seen this progression played out time and time and time again. It's how Satan works, right? He says, entice you with looking. Let that looking move into desire. Let the, when the desire becomes fully born, as in the words of James, when it, when it grows and bears fruit, it results in action. And so Achan takes it. 
uh, and his taking is a breaking of faith. But here's, I think, one of the main points that us, particularly, you know, in, in an American context or in a Western context, need to appreciate, and that is that when Achan took these things, he was not simply making a personal decision, right? He was making a decision on behalf of the community. And that, friends, is something that probably speaks to, I think, the hardest thing for you all to appreciate about this passage, right? A couple things about this passage that, you know, I could hear the gasping coming from under your masks, right? Wawa, they say there's a smile under my mask, there's a gasp under your mask, right? So at the end of the passage, why, why we, we, we sort of get Achan being stoned with stones, but why his, why his kids... Why is animals? What's going on there? Well, friends, what's going on is that, you know, in, again, in a culture that is really predicated upon individualism to a significant extent, right, it's difficult for us to appreciate uh, the way that God deals with families, right? Uh, historically, you know, folks that come from more of a Middle Eastern kind of context, they do not struggle with this. This is how they live. This is how their, their society is built, uh, is that, your actions are not simply individual acts, but they are acts that affect your community, right? And I'll, I'll give you a simple example, right? Uh, I've said this a whole number of times, but I can tell mostly, right, when folks are coming to worship and you have been praying for God's blessing to be upon our church, right? Or you're, you're seeking God's presence in your life, or you're seeking uh, his 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 favor for Phoenixville. When there's a collective corporate seeking of God, you can tell. And when there's not, when it's been all about me, when my life has been entirely me focused, when I haven't prayed once for this town or once for this church or once for anyone else at all, right? And I come in here and I'm, you know, in that mindset, you can tell. You can feel it. It's tangible, right? And, um, that's one of the big points of this passage is that the actions that you take, or very thankful to Craig for his word this morning, right? The actions that you don't take, right? The sins of omission, that those actions or inactions, right? That they affect not just yourself, but they affect this community, right? And it's what we're, what's going on here is that God is saying to Israel, he's saying, look, we are a people, we're a community, and I will deal with you as a community, not simply as individuals, right? And I'll tell you, friends, that, you know, just a, just kind of a basic point, um, and, you know, been having some conversations on this topic uh, in recent weeks and months, and that is this, that your choices, right, no matter what they are, no matter what the topic is, your choices have an effect on other people, right, on the people that you love, right? Just, just basically, that, that's what happens. Your choices have an effect on other people, on the people you love, including this community, right? So that's, that's the first thing, right? That Achan is coveting, he's, he's looking, he's coveting, he's taking, and that action affects not only him, but it affects other people, particularly his spiritual community, now, the second thing that's brought up in here, right, second thing's brought up is how the community responds to such a reality, right? And this is the world that, frankly, 
I'm living in to a significant extent, right, in these days, right? I mean, I'll just be honest with you. So where, where are we as a community? What, what's the state of the church here at Ironworks? And the answer is, I'm not totally sure, right? Uh, last week, we had 100 people come here, which was more than I thought, but, you know, the outdoor, what, what are we going to call you guys? Do you have a name for the outside seating area? Someone give me a name. What's that? Depressions? The fresh air, the fresh air club, okay, the sun, the sunshine club, um, right? Where are we here? Right? Well, we had 100 people in worship last week. Don't know what the numbers are this week. Uh, we've watched our, our online kind of community sort of dwindle off. I've been hearing reports uh, that some folks are, are not streaming Ironworks or any other church, right? That there's a profound amount of isolation. There's a profound amount of spiritual depression. I've been noticing that been hearing from folks reaching out to others saying, look, I've been reaching out to people. No one's responding. I've been reaching out. Folks are not responding, right? There's a profound sense, um, I think, of spiritual depression, of spiritual isolation. That is, I'm just being honest with you. That's where we are, right? To some extent. On the other hand, I'm seeing pockets of folks who are saying, look, I want to move forward. I want to be unified even with people that disagree with me. I want to serve I, I want to be part of praying for this city, right? We had a strong prayer meeting a couple weeks back, and I uh, look forward to, to seeing how God will hear those prayers, right? So whatever category you sit in, right, whatever category you fit in in, in the description that I just gave, I want to suggest to you some ways that we might both individually and collectively seek God's favor, right? How did Joshua respond to the defeat at Ai, right? You know, they lost 36 men. Um, how did he respond to that? Uh, and it says here that he fell on his face before God, uh, and he did so all the way until evening, right? That he fell on his face before God. And friends, I will tell you, this is um, something I've been saying, and uh, it's not terribly comp- complicated, but it is terribly effective, and that is this, right? If you want to seek God's favor for your family, right? If you want to seek his favor individually, if you want to seek his favor for a church, where does it begin? What's the first thing that he would have you do, right? Answer, pray. It's very simple. It's very simple, but actually rarely done. You pray, but you don't just pray like one time, God, please fix these things, amen. Right, and now I'm going to go back to worrying about them. What kind of prayer does it look like? And the answer is, it's the kind of persevering in prayer. Right? You ever hear that language? I want to, God is calling you to not simply pray, but to become a person who perseveres in prayer. Right? How long did Joshua pray for? Right? Falls on his face. Right? He falls on his face and he waits there before God. He waits for a word from God. Right, God, what is going on? I have no idea. And friends, that is the that is the the situation of a leader, right? Most of the time, is that we have no idea what's going on. Why are these things happening? What's going on, right? But God is faithful to address people that seek Him. Guys, I just want to tell you, right? I want to speak to to those of you who have not been praying, right? I want to be honest. First of all, if you're not praying, I just want to tell you, you're not the only one. Right? I, I will confess that I have seasons where, where that is my reality. Right? 
if, I want to talk to those of you who have stopped praying or perhaps never have, right? If there's one thing you take away from this passage, if there's one thing you take away from this sermon, I hope that it's this. I hope that you say, you know what? I want to learn to seek the Lord in prayer. I want to learn what that's like. I want to start doing this, right? In uh, September, we're going to yet again be having our annual time of prayer and fasting, which is where uh, we as a community will come together and we will be seeking God for a few crucial, critical matters for our church family and for our city in prayer and fasting. I hope that you'll participate, right? I hope that this will be important enough for you to come and participate in such a thing, right? So as a community, individually, as a family, what would it look like for you to begin praying? Right? I have some resources. If you're, like, if you're sitting here saying, Darren, I honestly have no idea what it looks like, let me know. I, I can help you with that. I can pray with you. Right? We can do that together. I can pair you up with someone, perhaps. Uh, we, we have some books on it. We have some resources on it. I have some, some ways to get started. But simply begin praying right? Number one. Number two, learn to persevere in prayer, right? Joshua does not hear right away, right? It takes some time. And then thirdly, uh, one of the ways of praying that is most effective is to pray the promises of God, right? It is to hold God to his word. You notice that Joshua in his prayers, he's saying, look, God, why did you bring us out here? What did, why would you do this? He's going back to the promises of of God, and he's going back in verse 9 to the name and the glory of God, right? So how do we seek God's favor? We do so in prayer, specifically the kind of prayer that perseveres. The last thing that I want to look at is the stoning of Achan, right? This is the big ticket item for you this morning. This is, this is you know, if you've been still with me here paying attention, you're, you're all sitting there waiting saying, how is the pastor going to possibly defend this? And Veronica has been can see you under your mask. Your mask does nothing to my x-ray vision. Um, how are we going to explain the stoning of Achan, his family, even his cattle? What's going on? And how could we possibly say that this is a good thing, right? It's harsh. It uh, seems not in proportion to, you know, petty theft, right? Particularly petty theft in a time of war, Right, where that's, that's really common, what's going on? Well, first thing is, with respect to what's going on, is that uh, this, this action resulted in the loss of 36 people. Right? This was not simply petty theft where like, an insurer had to pay a claim. This was an action that resulted in the loss of 36 people. There's 36 families plus extended families grieving these men. Right? The second thing is, is that at the most fundamental level, the actions of this man resulted in the displeasure of God on this community. And as I've said before, what the message of this uh, book is, is that the pleasure of God and the presence of God is of the highest importance. It is everything. It's, it's the thing that, that they needed more than anything else was his pleasure and his presence. And the actions of this person had a direct impact on that, right? So, but was it harsh? What was going on? Well, a couple things. Um, number one, uh, it's likely, I think, though we, though we don't know for sure, it's likely that the family participated in some way, right? That you couldn't hide these things 
Uh, you couldn't kind of like keep this back from the family. So it's, it's possible maybe that the family participated in some ways. We don't know. I think the bigger thing is that the message of this passage is that God deals with us, not simply as individuals, but he deals with us in a corporate sense, even in the family. I do want to be clear to say, and the scripture actually will be clear to say, you say, look, the son is never put to death for the sins of the father, right? He'll go on and say that. So I don't want you to misunderstand that from me. But there is a sense in which God is dealing with Achan, not simply himself, but he's dealing with him as a family. That's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, in any community, we find that there's always a need for what we as modern people call church discipline, right? So Ironworks believes in church discipline. We're, we do that here. Uh, we've done that uh, on a number of occasions in the past where when you become a member, we, you make vows to live as becomes a Christian. And uh, there are times where uh, the session has to remind you of those vows and, and, and exhort you to, to follow those. Um, and if not, you know, we have to proceed with uh, church discipline, which might mean being censured from the Lord's table or uh, being actually removed from membership in a process called excommunication. And I think part of, the, part of what's going on here is that church of discipline is always needed in any community, right? Paul will talk about it in the New Testament. We see it here in the Old Testament. And Part of what's going on is that um, the way that revival has always come about, right, the way that revival has always come about is when there is a kind of repentance that overflows from one person to an entire community. So one a fantastic book written by Jim Cimbala uh, chronicling the revival that happened in Brooklyn. It's really interesting. Jim, if you haven't heard the story, Jim Cimbala is pastoring this church and he is trying to get it off the ground so desperately, right? They have no money. They're, they're really small. Nothing is working. He's seeking the Lord. He's praying. They're trying everything they know to do. And he's finally going to get up to that pulpit, and he's going to quit. He's going to be done, right? Uh, he's kind of had enough. And all of a sudden, right, this church that was dirt poor, they had no money, couldn't pay their bills, right, all this, what happens? the usher comes forward from the back of the room to this tiny little group of people, and he says, I have a confession to make. The tiny little bit of money that you've been giving to the Lord, I've been stealing. And that confession begins the revival that happens in Brooklyn that has overflowed from there far and wide. Right? It, it is in uh, those times of confession, it is in those moments where the Spirit of God begins revival uh, and brings forth spiritual life for the church, right? And so, you know, if you're, if you're identifying with Achan, right, if you've been, you know, sort of nursing secret sins, right, if you, you know, you've been nursing secret sins, whether they be acts of omission or commission, things that you know to do, this is a simple, you know, closing exhortation is, turn from them, right? And uh, the reason that I will give you here at the end is that, um, co commenting lastly on this issue of the stoning, is that the last thing I want to bring out about the stoning and uh, some of the questions that are, I know, still unresolved for Veronica up here, 
right? And for you all, Darren, I don't think you've, I don't think you've done it. I don't think you've solved it. It seems harsh. It seems over the top. It seems unwarranted. It seems unfair. What's going on? Well, friends, what I think that we're seeing here in this passage in the stoning of Achan, and why, why does this not happen today? Why is this different? What's going on here? And the issue, of course, will be raised by our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the eighth chapter of John when uh, they've brought a woman to him uh, who is accused of adultery, and they're ready to stone her, and he says, he who is without sin is permitted to cast the first stone. Right? Jesus basically looks at them and says, you know, you're welcome to participate in this if you're without sin, right? Then you can cast the first stone. And of course, everyone leaves one by one, beginning with the older folks first and then uh, with the younger folks. And what we're learning here in the New Testament is that this passage is really uh, kind of painting a picture of what our Lord Jesus Christ would go through on your behalf, right? That our Lord Jesus would uh, look at the sins of a person, he would look at the sins of a community, and he would say to you, I, I will do it, I will, I will bear it, I will absorb it, right? The, the, stones can, the stones don't have to go to her, right, John chapter 8, they can go to me, I will take the punishment. I will take the blame. I will absorb the wrong done. Right? You sin all the time, but I will absorb every ounce of those realities into myself. I will take the punishment. I will be the one to be stoned. I will be the one that causes the Lord's anger to turn from you. It'll come to me. And so, uh, as people who live in uh, times that are Following the death of Christ, we stand here, right, not having to bear the punishment of our sins, right? And that is the, the closing exhortation as you come forward to take this meal, as you come forward to, to, to eat this bread and to drink this wine, the, 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 the message of Christ for you today is, look, I've absorbed it. I've, I've taken this Achan and his family punishment on myself so that you can be absolutely pure, absolutely righteous. And there is a picture of me in this passage, right? This passage is pointing forward to me. And therefore, therefore, that is all the more reason to turn from your sins. It's all the more reason if you're if you're spiritually isolated, if you're spiritually depressed, right? If you if you've stopped praying, if you've stopped even considering scripture, if you've stopped caring about your neighbor, if you've stopped praying for this city, if you've stopped giving to the Lord, for example, right? Jesus is pleading with you, saying, "All the more reason for you to find life today, like that usher in Brooklyn, who's." whose repentance not only affected his own life, but actually spread from there, even across the world, in a mighty act of spiritual renewal. Today's the day. Let us turn together from our sins and find grace to help in a time of need. Let me pray for you.